0: So Romans in four weeks, a um, little bit of a tough task. I grew up in church, for those that don't know me. This is, I'll be uh, on team here 19 years next week. And um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. But, but I kind of grew up in church. I wouldn't say it was always a priority, but my dad always found himself on every board or every eldership or whatever you want to call it, depending on your background. And so we were always involved, even though my high school years I wouldn't necessarily say it was top of the list for me. But so when I heard Romans, I always heard it, you know, I just saw the movie Jesus Revolution a couple weeks ago. I know it's been out for a little bit. Just saw it on Netflix. And they had these things. They're passing out these little Chick Tracks. Why they're called Chick Tracks, I don't know. But they're about this size. And they would just pass them out to people and it would have the Roman road explaining the, the, the road to salvation. And that's all I really ever knew about Romans kind of growing up. It was this set of verses that would lead you to salvation. It, most would start with Romans 3.23, which Pastor Steve unpacked the first week, which said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then they'd kind of jump into Romans six six 6.23 that says, the wages of sin is eternal death, but the gift of God is life, is liberty, is eternal life. And so they would go through these different progression, and some might throw Romans 5.8 in there before 623, but they would say, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it culminates kind of in Romans 10, 9 and 10, which you hear pretty much in every altar call salvation prayer, some form or fashion, words from this verse, and you'll probably hear it at the end of this service today, uh, when everybody's given an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus. But that basically says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And that's kind of what I knew about Romans. And it, I think that, you know, culminates finally with all that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10:13. But as I started to walk out a Christian life, I realized Romans is not just our start, In Christ, It teaches us how to grow in Christ. And so as we unpack this and and we look at it and there's so much relatability to to everything that's in the book. You look at Romans chapter 7 and a common verse that you hear in in churches and it's Paul wrestling out with his flesh and Paul trying to figure out how to do life. You know, he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, I do. He's basically saying, I get it. I get right where you're at. I don't, I don't know why I do the things I do. I want to I do something different, but I can't seem to do something different. And so I wrestle with these types of things. I mean, I get it. I don't want to spend as much time on TikTok as I do. <laughs> it is absurd the amount of time that I spend. We're binge-watching Suits like the rest of the world right now on Netflix. And so, but I'm sitting there scrolling on my phone, and I have to... At, look up and ask Lydia a question during the middle of a show, and I'm like, oh, my God, when did I become the woman in this relationship? Because <laughs> I'm too busy looking at TikTok. Or I don't want to yell at refs during my kids' games. I try not to. There may be video footage of me crushing some poor, like, 15-year-old that's out there just trying to make a little side cash. and make it re- But if you're going to get paid, you might as well do the job right. <laughs> and I don't want to yell at them like I do. My mom growing up, you know occasionally you'll hear pastors say, "You know you should come into church and, and, and worship and be as passionate as you are at football games and different things are like. And my mom was like, "I don't know that you want that same energy." Because her watching a football game is normally yelling, I'm like, "You had all week to practice, and this is what you came with." So I'm not sure we want that same energy. Sorry, the photography caught my eye. I'm going to have a little confession here. There are times on the front row, I shouldn't admit this, but when I see the photographer out the side of my eye, that the hands come out of the pocket during worship. And I'm just going to give them the shot they want. And then they're just going to go right back in the pocket when they leave. But even if you didn't come in today, as a Christian, we all have a commonality in place that we all have some things we can't change on our own. That we wrestle with, I can't. I don't understand why I do the things that I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I hate, I end up doing. And we wrestle that. We all wrestle at some point in our lives with the question of what do I really want? What do I really want out of it? And sometimes the problem is we don't know what the problem is. And so he, he takes us through this progression, Paul in Romans, and he gets to Romans chapter 12, a very common verse that we, for those that may have been in church for some time, you've probably heard it throughout your time in church. Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this word therefore is a pivotal transition in the book of Romans. It is transitioning from the theology of the book Chapters 1 through 11, which we kind of jumped into, to the practical application, to the how to grow in Christ right. side of the book. Therefore, I urge you, but it's crucial that he throws in by view of God's mercy because without that, if you don't understand the first 11 chapters in the view of God's mercy, then the rest of the stuff that follows is moot. It doesn't follow because it's going to follow sh- fall short. If your whole Christian walk is based off the commands of God and what you have to do, it's always going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you wanting more. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your true and proper worship. And do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test God's will, his perfect pleasing will. Therefore, what's the therefore moment in your life? Do you believe the lies of the enemy that said, hey, you know, I, I grew up in a broken home, therefore, I'm going to repeat that pattern. Do you believe the lies of the enemy that say, I can't get a relationship right, my parents were divorced, so therefore, I'm probably going to end up that same way. That I don't have any value, therefore, I'm just going to struggle through life. But God's goodness is based simply on that, his goodness. Nothing else. It's not based off what you think you can achieve on your own. It's not based off your talent. It's not based off your time and sacrifice. God's goodness is God's goodness. Plain and simple. And so what's the therefore in your moment? And to get a little technical, Romans 1-11 through is kind of the indicatives to throw out a word there. Basically explaining what is true what has happened, what God has done. Romans 12 and beyond follow the imperatives, what we should do in response to who we are in Christ. But too often we get stuck on the imperatives and we lost sight of the indicatives. We, we lose sight of the things that he's done that we've gone through over these last couple weeks and we lose sight of it and we get stuck in, in just the commands of God and it has us chasing the things we think we want instead of the things we should value instead of the things we actually value. And so you walk through and you you begin to understand Romans 3 that I mentioned earlier, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and it says that he's our propitiation, the word that we threw out there that first week that nobody could pronounce. And so we look at it, and it's basically this exchange, this appeasement of God's wrath, but not just that alone, but a reconciliation back to him. And so we look at it, and because of that, therefore, I have a hope and a future. And when we look at the indicatives of 1 through 11, I'm justified by faith. Therefore. I've been imputed the righteousness of God. Another word to throw out there from a theological standpoint. It's been attributed to me. Even though I was unworthy, I've been credited the righteousness of God. Therefore. I'm dead to sin. Romans chapter 6 and 5. Therefore. Therefore. I'm dead to the law, chapter seven, where Paul's wrestling with, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing because I don't know what I'm doing, and I just I'm dead to the law. It doesn't matter. Therefore. Yeah. I'm more than a conqueror, as Pastor Steve talked about last week in our Richmond family. And I think Pastor Daryl, who was up there in Richmond last week, talked about a saving faith. I'm more than a conqueror, therefore. Yeah. I can live life in the spirit, therefore. All things work together for the good, therefore. I've been grafted into the new covenant as it talks through Romans nine through eleven, and I've been given an election into the family of Christ. Therefore, I've been adopted as a son or a daughter in Christ. Therefore, He chose you. He chose you. Therefore, He chose you, Jason Swango. Therefore, He chose you, Montre Ingram. Therefore. What's the therefore moment in your life? Are you believing the lies of the enemy? Are you believing the indicatives of God? That why he goes on and says, therefore I urge you, I compel you in some translations. I beseech you in view of God's mercies. Christian obedience is always theologically motivated. We do what we do because of what he did. Because of what he did, I urge you, I compel you To present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your true and proper worship. And if you look at true and proper, the Greek word is logikos, which basically means your logical response. If your logical response to God isn't to wholeheartedly serve, quite frankly, you've never experienced it or you've forgotten it. Because when we look at it, it's my only logical response to say how great is our God. How great is our God. But we've kind of boiled this thing down and even this verse sometimes we boil it down to a self-help motivational attribute. Renew your mind and we go through all the different things that we can renew our mind on. But the gospel is not a self-help book. It is not a self-help book. It is a transformative message that shapes us from the inside out. The hence why I do not be conformed to this world but be transformed. That word only shows up three times in the New Testament, transform, metamorpho, and it looks at, it. it's talking about an inside-out transformation. The only other times it's mentioned is on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John aside and showed them a little bit of a glimpse of who he really was and showed him his glory. And they walked away saying, okay, he's built a little different. And the only other time it's mentioned is later in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it says we're trying to contemplate the glory of God and we are being transformed into his image. That's what it's really about, is being transformed from the inside out. God is not wanting from you, he is wanting for you. He's not wanting to take, he's wanting the fruit of the spirit to come out of you. He's wanting that in your life, love, joy, peace. Gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self control. I think I forgot one. But he's wanting patience. Peggy knows. But he's wanting it for you, those watching online. He's wanting it for you in our Richmond Glen Island campus. And we look at it and we get caught up on the self help side because it is the mind that kind of messes with us. He tells us early on in Romans chapter 28, verse 30 through 31, he talks about the mind. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So that they do what not ought to be done. Paul, wrestling. I'm doing things I don't want to do. How do I figure it out? Gave them over to a depraved They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips. They're full of... Uh, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. If that's not the world today, I don't know what is. We're just making stuff up. We're just making stuff up at this. But I love they invent ways of doing evil and immediately followed by they disobey their parents. And everybody with kids said amen. If anybody can invent something doing evil, it's children. We had a sleepover at the house the other night. They had a friend over. And, you know, we were out to dinner. And I said, hey, look, you have a tendency to wake me up past midnight. Please do not wake me up past midnight. Now, the unsaid, the unsaid version of that is, look, I'm in my mid-40s. I don't make it through the night anymore anyway. So I'm going to have to get up around 4 or 5, take care of some things. And I can't get, be woken up every time. Somehow the, the chat GPT function in their head took that as, hold on, let me find three ways to wake him up between the hours of 1.30 and 3 in the morning. Running around the house. We got wood floors. Like we're not going to hear that. The carpet runner was like bunched up because they run and jump and, and into the bed and lay there as still as possible, giggling like a little schoolgirl sometimes. But like they're giggling like, he doesn't know I'm up. He doesn't know. Forget the footsteps he heard just running through the house. I think it's payback probably because sometimes when they were babies, I might have laid there very still. If I don't move, Lydia won't think I'm up. I don't hear it. I don't hear the child crying. But what are the God substitutes in your life? What have you been given over to in your mind? Because you lost sight of the logical response is to wholeheartedly serve a God who loved you and gave everything for you. I love what the theologian Russell Brand says. And it says in the Old Testament, worship no other gods than me. The implication I offer is that we are a species that worships and if you do not access the divine, you will worship the mundial. You will worship the profane. You will worship your own identity. You will worship your belongings. You will worship the template laid before you by a culture that wants you, wants you, but gets you distracted and relatively dumb. If You don't worship the divine, you'll worship the mundane. You'll exchange the, what you really value for things you think you want. And that's the conformity of this world trying to press you, trying to get you to use things and use people to get ahead, trying to get you to just live for the moment, trying to get you to be just true to yourself. It's this conformity of the world rather than the understanding and the transformation from the inside out that it's my gaze towards God that will lead to obedience. But as we saw, if I don't understand the indicatives, I'm not necessarily going to understand the imperatives. And we're going to get to some of the imperatives in Romans chapter 12 here in just a minute, beyond just this first verse. But obedience without worship and connection is just legalism. And it will leave you hungry. It will leave you falling short. So Paul transitions us with these two verses and saying, okay, let me show you how to grow in Christ. Because Romans chapter 12 has a plethora of imperatives. It has more imperatives or more commands than any other chapter in the New Testament. And we're not going to have enough time to really go through every single one of them. We're going to just highlight a few of them. What a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. What a living sacrifice looks like. And I think the first thing it looks like is what it's a living sacrifice sincerely loves Sincerely loves, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, after he drops down a little bit, he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Devote yourselves to one another. Honor yourselves in brotherly love. Honor others above yourself. Live a life full of spiritual fervor and zeal serving the Lord. It sincerely loves, and I'm not talking, I know it's that time of year where Pumpkin Spice comes back out, and Hallmark movies are going to start coming on that nobody really wants to watch, and yet somehow they're guilty pleasures of everybody in here. But I'm not talking Hallmark movie type of love, where there's two random actors that are attractive that nobody's ever heard of that play in this movie, and somehow the female character gets exasperated or gets wronged at work and moves to the country and bumps into this long lost ex-love or this other person that she knew that is really attractive but comes across kind of poor and so but they keep having all these little chance encounters and they talk to each other and they're like oh my god and then they fall in love and then but then they have to have the breakup and then he has she has to move back to the big city and he has to chase her to the big city and then they get married and all of these things. and there's a dog I've never seen one. <laughs> but I'm talking about a sincere love that he talks about that hallmarks the church in John 13:35, that this is how everyone know, will know you're my disciples because of how you love each other. Francis Schaefer said, "Love is Jesus' final love at work in the church is Jesus' final apologetic to the world. It sincerely loves. And I don't think on a side note, I don't think it's any coincidence that that verse 9, love must be genuine, follows where he talks about the gifts of the Spirit a little bit or some of the gifts of the Spirit. Romans 12, 5 through 8, he talks about the gift of prophecy, the gift of giving, the gift of administration, different things like that. And he follows it up with love must be sincere or love must be genuine because your gift doesn't really matter a whole lot if you don't have love following it. It's going to blow up in your face without it. It clings to what is good. It is without pretense, sincere love. Most of my formative years were, were spent in the south and you can sit there and I've heard my aunts and uncles and grandparents and they look at somebody and they're like, oh, bless your heart. They just cussed you out 10 different ways <laughs> with those three words. It's without pretense. We realize, and I'm no longer impressed 19 years on team by the flash in the pan but I'm impressed by the longevity of people like Carl and Terry Tigner that week in and week out show up faithful and serve this church and serve this vision. And they're not worried about getting offended because typically getting offended typically means I'm just going to make this about myself rather than something broader. And I, my, Like I said, I grew up in church. My dad got kicked out, not kicked out, but asked to stop leading his Sunday school class Because it was growing too much. We were in a good Baptist church at that time, and they thought it was too charismatic, too Pentecostal. And like I said, my dad and I are the guys that like lift our hands for the camera, not for actual. (laughs) We're not (laughs) that Pentecostal or charismatic. But you know what he did? He served anyway. And he found a different way to serve. And he understood. The greatest commandment in Matthew 22, the love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. This is the greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself, the second commandment. But I love that Martin Luther called this the, the, the dilemma of the great commandment. Because really, you can't command something, can't command somebody to love something. You're actually commanding something that can't really be commanded. Because if you love it, you're going to do it. If you love it, you're gonna. This is my only logical response to who you are, God. It's sincere love is grounded in truth. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. It is grounded in truth, and we we too often forsake a huge part of hearing from God when we just say, I'm okay, I'm going to pray about it. Now, I'm all about living life in the spirit. I am spirit-filled, and I think we need to hear from God, and I hear from God when I pray. But more often than not, I hear from God from this. Because I'm not left wondering, was that really God? I don't trust myself, but I trust this. It is grounded in truth. Where can you love better? Love's got to be genuine. Be devoted to one another honor yourselves above one another where can you love better without pretense without agenda sincere love expressed and he goes on through as we progress through romans chapter 12 and i think secondly he highlights that hope brings peace romans 12 12 be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer in the midst of these commands, in the midst of these imperatives, he's saying, be joyful in hope. Because we love the peace of God. And so often, again, we look at it from this self-help paradigm, and so we think it's just this state of walking through a better road, and oh, namaste. You know, this is, this is our peace with, with God. But Paul outlines something different in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have pa- peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. But he goes on to say, now if you think it's just all this little walking around in tranquility and it's all just gonna be this bed of roses, keep reading. Verse three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope and hope does not shame us. Other translations say hope does not disappoint us and so he's telling you it's gonna be hope that brings peace but sometimes peace may hurt. But it's about forming things in us that we actually value. And that word peace is arini In the Greek it appears somewhere upwards of 90 times in the New Testament. And it's more rooted in a completeness and a wholeness similar to the Hebrew Hebrew word shalom than it is tranquility. Only two of its uses really talk about tranquility, but it talks about being a a full follower of Jesus Christ, that in the midst of this I can have hope despite my sufferings. That suffering is producing inside of me perseverance, and that perseverance is producing inside of me character, and that character is producing inside of me hope. And it's that that's going to well up at the times that you need it when you're facing battles that you didn't know you would face, when you're facing things that you don't think you can go through on your own. You're going to remember that God, the peace of God starts with, but I still have sufferings, but I've got periods perseverance because that's what's forming i think i need this i think i want this but what god actually wants to form in me is perseverance what he actually wants to form in me is character what he actually wants to form in me is hope first corinthians fourteen thirty three says god is not the god of confusion but of peace and the peace of god starts with peace with god but sometimes that peace hurts and we're wondering what the will of God is, and we think back to what he said in verse 2 so that you can test the pleasing, the perfect will of God. And he plainly tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and everything give thanks for that's the will of God in your life. Rejoice always, pray continually, and in the midst of telling us how to grow in Christ in Romans 12, in the midst of it he's saying be joyful in hope. and affliction. Don't be surprised at it when it comes. They, they came at Jesus, they're going to come at you. And it's hope that inspires endurance, and it's hope that we can sit there and understand that the pleasing and perfect will of God is that he's given me not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. It's in that therefore that I understand that I'm more than a conqueror. And it's because of those therefores in our life that he's built into it through his sacrifice that we can stand and be joyful in hope. And be patient in affliction because no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And we begin to look at it, and all things work together for the good who are called and according to his purpose. And we look and we understand and we look at it, but do not fear. I will uphold you, I will strengthen you with my right hand. And you hold on to these promises of God over and over and over again. So when you're walking through some stuff, you can be joyful in hope because hope inspires endurance. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.3 says, we love, we look back at it in your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. In the words of things I would hear on my son's YouTube all the time, basically never back down, never what? Somebody else watches the guy. Told you I'm on TikTok too much. But we get so concerned around the behavior, and I think what Romans 12 and really the book of Romans says many times over is don't change the behavior, change the starting point. We jump ahead from Romans chapter 12, and we'll get into Romans chapter 14 for just a little bit. Verse 1, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. There's going to come a time in our lives, every one of our lives, where your faith is weak. And don't get caught up in the drama and quarreling over stupid things. But it's got, it's got to come because we were joyful in hope. And so we can walk through some things. And we're devoted to one another, as he says, so we're devoted in this community group so you have people around you that can lift your hands up in Richmond when it's not going so well. It's outwork through showing up at Serve Date like we did last weekend. And those things, that outworking, the work produced by faith, not by your works, but by faith. And so you can accept each other when the faith is weak. And you don't get caught up in being like, well, you gotta look right, you gotta do right. The problem is the longer we've been in church and the longer we've been a Christian, we're we're more solid in thinking our opinions are always right. And that's what Paul's saying here. Don't don't get all caught up in cause they begin to start arguing about meat and vegetables through the course of it. And as you've probably heard, if you've been in this church for any more time, I'm a meat guy, not a vegetable guy. Contrary to popular opinion, I do eat some vegetables. Some. But I'm more like Joey on friends. Custard, good. Jam, good. Meat, good. (laughs) But he's saying, don't get caught up in all this. And he jumps ahead to 14 and 17 through 18. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about... Don't let your freedom put somebody else in bondage. Let me say it that way. Don't let your freedom put somebody else in bondage. Don't get caught up in changing the behavior. Change the starting point. Because if we harken back to his first imperative in the whole book of Romans, Romans 6, he says, count yourselves dead to sin. Sin is no longer your master. But we get caught up in, on, on the legalism side of it Sometimes. But it says in Romans uh, think 3.20 that the law was only there to make you conscious of sin. Only to make you conscious. It's more like, more like this guy, another TikTok for you because I told you I'm marijuana. You sure about that? You sure about that? You sure about that? That's all the law is. I hope you walk out of here and when you're thinking about the behavior, you just hear, you sure about that? You sure about that? That's all it really is. It was to hearken you to make you alive to the conscious reality of sin. But it starts with understanding the indicatives of who he is. And too often, we begin to judge people and we begin to do things. Again, my dad got in trouble. We moved to Florida. We happened to have a pool, and we had a, a, a pool party with mixed bathing. Mixed bathing, old school religious word for you. It means there were girls and boys there. Just those two, by the way, girls and boys. (laughs) But he got in trouble for it. Did he get offended? No, he kept serving. And we look at a church here in this area, told my brother at eight years old, if he didn't speak in tongues, he wasn't going to be saved. Did my parents get offended by it? I mean, they might have had some few choice words for said Sunday school teacher. But they kept serving. See, we too often view sin as a failure of performance rather than a failure of intimacy. We get caught up in our ability to do what is right rather than the the moment, the fact that we despised a living God. We get caught up. And I just, I want to do right, but I can't do right. Change the starting point. When you walk out of here today, change the starting point. No, sin's not my master. I'm dead to sin. When you want to look at the thing that you maybe shouldn't look at, sin's not my master. When you want to yell a few choice words at your spouse, because sometimes there's just heated moments, sin's not my master. Don't get caught up in changing the behavior. Change the starting point of where you're at. He says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. We live in a society that evaluates tolerance above holiness. He says, Be holy because I'm holy. It is the holiness of God that attracts you to God. The irony in some of that, it's the holiness of God that sometimes makes you a little trepidatious. And caught up on the imperative side of things rather than the indicative side of things to understanding of what he's done in your life. Be quick to repent. And quick to believe. As you go through things. Because you're never going to measure up in and of yourself. But he already took care of that. As we've learned over these last three weeks, he already took care of that for us. As our propitiation for our sins. He took that place for you and I. And he said the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, joy. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of us coming in and understanding. And Jesus' driving force in his life was that, as it says in Philippians 2.8, that he would be obedient even unto death. Martin Luther said when Jesus faced the cross, never had a man feared like this man. Why? Because he was weak? No. The physical pain was going to be excruciating enough. But that's not what it was. It was the moment of separation from a God, his father, that he wrestled with in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, I don't want to do this. Take this cup from me. he knew the long game. He knew that you'd be here in this auditorium today. He knew you'd be in Richmond watching online wherever you're at. He said, I don't want to do this. But he was obedient even unto death and in verse 9 it says, therefore he was exalted into heavenly places and became the name above every other name. And what's the therefore in your life? What's the therefore that's facing you? That you can say it's all built up to here, but therefore. C.S. Lewis said, love is never wasted. Because its value does not rest on reciprocity. Love is never wasted. His sacrifice on the cross was never wasted. But the only logical response is to God I wholeheartedly serve. Many of us in this room have been living without any consideration of God and his ways, or we forget about it. We live in a world, I can't fathom a God that would, and fill in the blank can't fathom a God, and maybe that's been your barrier to, to understanding his goodness. You couldn't sing the goodness of God's running after me. You have that barrier in your mind, but maybe the God you've been running from isn't the God of the Bible at all. Because he, of his own volition, was obedient even unto death. The answer to your why is not a what but a who Tim Keller said it this way Jesus is the only savior he's the only savior that if you gain him will satisfy you and if you fail him will forgive you see the Christian distinctive versus other religions is that what God himself required he provided No other religion in the world will offer that. That what they require, they provide. And he provided it for you and I. And our only logical response to that God is to serve him wholeheartedly.